We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hulk strongest guys, aloha from Hawaii. Same to you, buddy. What if Everett Golson was the quarterback on the 2017 team? Uh, do you think we would win the Natty? Hmm. Uh, Which version of Everett Golson are we getting? Right. right. That would be that would be my question. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I, I mean, I st- I still think there's well, it's that question, and then I mean, it was just there's some coaching issues, right, that are still involved right. in that situation, like. If if you had a if you had a guy that I trusted to be with Everett that you know could push the right buttons and that you had the confidence of like best confident version of Everett Golson, then yes, I believe, but I think there's no guarantees that that's what you're getting, obviously, in that situation. If you got 2012 version of Everett, I'd feel a lot better about that than 2014 version of Everett. Because 2012 version of Everett would run. And I wanted to I wanted a running quarterback on that team. But he was a much better passer than Brandon was by that. Even as, even in 2012, he wasn't the passer that that there, he was a better passer than what Brandon was. Even in 2012, so I th- I think they had a shot. They would have had a shot, in my opinion. Yes, they would have had a shot because in 2012, Everett. I mean, I mean, with all due respect to Miami 2017, they're not Oklahoma. <laughs> they're not Oklahoma 2012. You know. Plus, by that point in time, Everett would have been like 25. So he'd have been very mature. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kevin Carter with a good question, Ryan. Why does Ryan Day get more credit than Riley for how good of a coach he is? I feel they both inherited great programs but haven't quite recruited to the same level as their predecessors. Do you have an immediate thought to that? Because I have a couple thoughts on that. Well, I've been on the – I've said it on this podcast before. I think Ryan Day is a little bit overrated, to be honest. I think he's a really good offensive mind. I think the – comparisons that you can bring here with Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day is that they're both really good offensive minds in different ways. Obviously they run different systems, but I mean, Ryan Day, I mean, we can, we can have a long talk about all the flaws of Urban Meyer, right? But Urban Meyer didn't exactly leave the cupboard bare for Ryan Day. Just like this, like coach Stoops did not leave the cupboard bare for, for coach Riley. And I've seen a bunch of lists that have Ryan Day rated as a top five coach in college football. And I'm just like, 
I, I need to see a lot more, right? Like, I mean, to be a great college football coach, it's not just about calling an offense. You also have to build a program, right? Like you have to maintain and build upon what you've had already. So I, I've always struggled with Ryan Day a little bit. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a really good offensive mind, but I think, I think they're both a little overhyped, but great offensive minds, yeah. no doubt. I'm okay with Ryan Day as a top five coach because my answer is all I have always I always have the same reaction when somebody tells me Ryan Day is a top five coach. My initial reaction is always what, but then they're like, "Well, name somebody that's better," and I'm like, "Yeah, I really can't." I mean, I think just that's where we are right now in college football. Is I don't know if I could name you five guys better than him. Here's the difference between Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, and why I would name I would put Ryan Day over Lincoln Riley. They both walked into almost identical situations. They were both kind of offensive coaches on really good teams and then stepped in for uh, Hall of Fame coaches. They both stepped into really talented rosters with talented quarterbacks on the roster that transferred in. Everything is the same. I think number two things. Number one, Ohio State has played tougher competition. I think the Big Ten East is stronger than the, the, the uh, Big 12. Number two, Ohio State's teams on the big stage have played significantly better in most instances than Lincoln Riley's teams have. His first playoff team in 2017, I felt, was the best team in the country that year. And the reason they lost was his inability to get that team to play any kind of defense. It was not a high-scoring Georgia team, and they gave up 54 points. Now, granted, it went to overtime, but they gave up over in 40 in regulation. And, and that's been his downfall. Number two... They got progressively worse. The next year with Kyler Murray, they lost by 11. And and my thing is, like, you want to talk about Brian Kelly and all his flaws? If you give Brian Kelly Kyler Murray in 2018, Notre Dame wins the national championship. Just full stop with all of the flaws that I constantly point out about Brian Kelly. You give him Kyler Murray with that Notre Dame team and that defense, they they win a national championship. Brian Kelly's got a statue, right? Um (laughs) I mean, you. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but here's the second thing: the third time they made the playoff was one of was the most embarrassing playoff loss the team has ever had. LSU legitimately could have scored over 80 points that game if they wanted to, maybe more. I mean, that was one of the most like this, like that was almost like disrespectful to the game. How bad they got? It wasn't like ended up was, being like sixty three to twenty eight. It was a video game, man. It was a video game day for LSU. They could they could do no wrong at that day. <laughs> they was crazy. right. I mean, it was a it was a great offense, an incredibly well coached offense against a, te- a coach who puts zero value on defense. Yep. And I think Ryan Day has done a bad job of getting a good defense at Ohio State, but I don't think it's because he doesn't want one. I just don't think he's figured out how to do it yet. Yeah. But that game, it was 49 to 14 at halftime. Didn't Burrow have like seven touchdowns at half or six? It was, in, it was insane. Number. Yeah. He had seven touchdown passes, and I do believe they were all and he and he he, he accounted for eight touchdowns in that game. <laughs> I believe, yes, that he had a his rushing touchdown came in the third quarter. So all seven touchdown passes were in the first half. That's insane. I mean he had touchdown passes of 19, 8, 35, 42, 30, 62, and two yards in that game. Like, that's embarrassing. Ryan Day has not had – he had that kind of loss to Oklahoma, to Alabama. They got blown out by Alabama. But the reality is that came after they had just blown out Clemson. The other game that, that Ryan Day has coached in the playoff, they took 
Ohio, they took Clemson down the wire. They were a, an interception in the end zone away from beating Clemson that year. So they've been competitive in most of their playoff games where Oklahoma has not. So to me, that's why I think Ryan Day is a better coach. And as I've said before, he has to play better. He has to play better teams on a consistent basis than we have seen from, from Lincoln Riley. And so that's to me why I don't, I, I, that's why I think Lincoln Riley is a very, isn't not very overrated. He's a great off. Ryan and I were talking about this earlier today off Mm -hmm. the air. He's a brilliant offensive mind. I mean, there's no question about that. I'll never take that away from him. Absolutely brilliant offensive mind, but we have zero evidence that he can build a team. And I always get nervous about coaches who the further they get away from the, the, the great coach they inherited, the worse they get. Oklahoma only scored 39 points last year, which for them is a big drop off. And, and that was including 76 points against Western Carolina, right? You take that away and they're not that far from where Notre Dame was last year in scoring points. And that was, that was the first team that he's had that was literally not literally just about in a hundred, just about close to a hundred percent, his guys, no more stoops, holdovers and those kind of things. And so that always, you know, again, his worst two teams are his most recent two teams. So you're you're not riding on the, the the coattails of Bob Stoops as much anymore. They were at 36 points a game if you take out the 76 against Western Carolina. Notre Dame was over 35. They were basically Notre Dame's offense last year. Yet they're going to go to USC and be a top four team because they recruited basically the same kind of guys he had at Oklahoma. I mean, mm-hmm. let's not act like Oklahoma didn't have a phenomenal receiving core last year. Marvin Mims doesn't suck. You, you know what I'm saying? And every good defense they played last year basically shut him down. Mm-hmm. So, And he had a way better offensive line he's going to have. So I think there is a lot more credit being given to Lincoln Riley than I think he's deserved. You know, he can prove me wrong at USC. Sure, he can. But I would take Ryan Day. And plus, you know, I, I know some may disagree with me, but I think Ryan Day is a better guy than Lincoln Riley. You know, I talked to some people around Ohio State. You know, he, he – he can be a dick to people I've been told that aren't part of the program, but I talk to people around that program. He cares about his kids. He does right by the kids. He, he, he forces his coaches to like, Hey, let's make sure these kids are going to class. We want to make sure that they're getting an education, all that kind of stuff. And I respect that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're no Notre Dame and they spend their academic prowess. But the fact is I do think he cares about his kids and everything I've ever been told is that he cares about his kids. I think Lincoln Riley cares about Lincoln Riley. That's what I, mm-hmm. that's what I think Lincoln Riley cares about. Agree, and so that's why I would take Ryan Day over Lincoln what, Riley. Western Carolina, you know their their nickname, their team nickname. Aren't they the Catamounts? Catamounts, good call, yeah. good call. That's uh, it's so unique. Just awesome. I don't even know what a Catamount is. I don't know either, it, but it's like the uh, the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina. It's very unique, and I love yeah. it. I also know they're they're a directional Carolina chicken. team's got some some jacked up <laughs> nicknames. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. J.P. Buelsfeld, do you think that C.J. Williams is much less likely to get meaningful playing time for USC this year? Yeah. Yeah, he's he going to play. He's going to see the field. Is no. he going to play? I mean, they, they have I, um, Kyle Ford is going to be a redshirt junior on that team and has barely played. And now he's got Mario Williams and all yeah. those dudes in front Brendan of him. Rice, Rice, Jordan Rice. Yeah, he's not going to play. Yeah. No. I really think part of the reason that they took him was insurance and to make sure he didn't go to Notre Dame. I think that's why they took him. Lincoln Riley staff. I think the previous staff really wanted CJ. I think the new staff just wanted to make sure Notre Dame didn't get him mm-hmm. and just wanted him in case they couldn't get the transfers. But yeah, that's that's kind of kind of because they still have they still have an, a couple younger receivers that are coming back too on top of the transfers they got. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's very unlikely that CJ gets much yeah. playing time this year. Notre Dame two one six four. How much does a quarterback being able to run the way Buckner does open up the passing game and the run game? Run game as in the running back run game. Well, the latter Ryan we've talked about before, and that is is it's hard to account for a running back. And the between the tackles runs when you also have to worry about the quarterback getting out on the perimeter. And if you want examples, go back and watch the 2017 season. Even though Notre Dame could barely throw the football that year, teams were still – you'd still see Josh Adams. I was like, why does Josh Adams run – I've had people – how does Josh – is the line that good that Josh Adams is constantly has these wide open holes and, and you know, for like 70-yard touchdowns? And I'm like, well, yes and no. The line is elite, which allows him to get through that first level, but they're not down there blocking safeties 15 yards down the field, right? That's happening because the safeties are going this way and that way to try to defend Brandon Wimbush's ability to run football. <laughs> and and so that's what that's what turns 20-yard gains into 60-yard gains is when you have to count for that. I've, you know, you go look at the USC game. I've, I've pointed this out before. The and we played this on the show, but you know, Josh Adams goes for an 80-yard touchdown. You watch the play, the backside linebacker, the safety, and the, and the overhang guy are all running towards Brandon Wimbush. And Josh Adams just goes, you know, Alex Bars just takes the D tackle, throws him into the A gap. He cuts right behind Alex Bars, and then bam, he's off to the races. You and could, Jack you could Collins, also, you could also just watch last year when Tyler Buckner was in the game a whole lot. There you go. To be honest, <laughs> there you go. Even yeah. when he was, you knew he was going to run the ball, it would still open up opportunities. So run game wise, absolutely makes sense. Pass game wise, it's a little different deal. And and I would I would say yes and no, Ryan. And I want to get your thoughts on this. The no is that your passing game is going to thrive if you have a good passer at quarterback. Period. Whether it it makes it 
Does it open it up more? If you have a kid that can throw, absolutely it does, but it doesn't, it doesn't do it automatically. And I think again, 2017 is a great example because if your quarterback can't hit the open receivers, it doesn't really open anything up. Your quarterback still got to be able to throw. I think it makes it, I would, I would not say, I would not say it makes it better, but I like the way he said it, Brian or Ryan, it doesn't open up the pass game. That I could say definitely. If it, if the question was, does it make the pass game better? I'd say sort of, but there's a lot more to it than that. But when I talk, when I when I think open up, I think it means I take that as, and perhaps I'm wrong on this. I take that as you're going to hit more post routes over the top or deep drags over the top because the safeties are coming down to play the quarterback run. That so more maybe more big plays because the quarterback can run. That's how I took it, Ryan. What is I know we agree on the latter part. What's mm-hmm. your what are your thoughts on having a quarterback like Buckner opening up the passing game? I, I think the one of the biggest things that Buckner brings to you is that when an offense can dictate what type of coverage they're going to see or they have some understanding of what they're going to see from a coverage perspective, it makes things a lot easier. And when you're a quarterback with the running ability that Tyler Buckner has, it's hard to play a lot of man-to-man coverage, man. Like if you're turning your back to a kid like that. He is just going to chew you up all day. So I think you're going to see a lot more. And I thought you saw it against Virginia Tech, honestly, Brian. Like the second half adjustment for me was like they said, like we need to go to a lot more zone and kind of trap coverages and do all those types of things. But I think that that helps you in a way because you can understand what's coming to you. It makes it a little more predictable from a defensive side. So I think that's what running the running game from the quarterback or just running threat of the quarterback can bring to you is the fact that you're – a defense, I think, gets a lot more predictable in that sense because there's just some things coverage-wise that you're not feeling really comfortable about doing. And then maybe it's even – maybe we have to keep a, a running a, a linebacker in to spy, and, and that obviously takes a defender away from where typically he'd be in coverage. And I, I think you can just kind of predict what coverages are coming, coming if that makes sense. Yep, agree. Marky Stewart, the Super Chat. Mark, thank you very much for that. He says, came on late. What's the latest on receiver recruiting? So, Ryan, we're just going to – all we're going to say about Rodney Gallagher right now is that things are trending in an opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And so just beyond Gallagher with things trending away, I believe Mark is a member of the message board, so you can check that out. But kind of where did things stand with with the rest of the board based on the latest? Because I know you've been talking to – even before the news last night, you had you had talked to Great House recently. We talked to Joshua Manning. We've been talking to a lot of these kids. So, what is the latest with Notre Dame's receiver recruiting? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Obviously, with everything that's happening, Mark, and I'll say that I also have a piece that's going to be coming out on Irish Breakdown soon. I kind of went through a little bit of the wide receiver board, just to you know, in case obviously things are trending away with Gallagher, like it seems. There's guys that we still feel very good about that are on the board. I mean, Jaden Greathouse is one that Brian just said out of Westlake, Texas. I. I think, and if you were here earlier in the show, I think we both gave around an, an eight as far as how we, how confident we feel about that one. I think they're in a great spot with him. And I think, honestly, out of what the board looks like, Brian, I don't know if you agree with this. I think, well, I, I think you may because we talked about it a little bit, but Jaden Greathouse may be the best slot receiver maybe potentially on the board with the guys that are left because a lot of them profile more to outside guys. And Greathouse also profiles to be an outside guy, but I think he has – some, I think he has a skill set that could fit somewhat inside, at least on a, a small basis as a slot receiver. So he's a guy that's on the board. They feel really good about him. 
mentioned in this article also. Obviously, you have Braylon James that's already committed out of Texas as well. But uh, Ronan Hannafin is a guy that we this Irish Breakdown staff has been a big fan of for a while now. He's out of Massachusetts. Long, athletic kid, six foot three. Has been we've been told that he's been in the four fours um, as as a forty yard dash type of kid. So he's long and he's explosive. He's a guy that things felt really good where they were dating back to like January, March, even you know you know first couple months of the of the of the year. And then the more he's kind of kept things open, he started to get he started to get interest from Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, USC. Those offers started coming in. So don't feel as great about where that one is anymore. But I still think that Notre Dame is in a good spot with Ronan Hannafin. It's about you know kind of reminding of why he was so high at the mid sometimes. I know on July 3rd, we're going to get some clarification, obviously on Rico Flores Jr., who is out of Folsom High School in California. He's also scheduled to have his first uh, visit to Notre Dame next month in June. He's a guy that I think could profile to a little bit in the slot, a little bit outside. He's just a really solid all-around player in general, in my opinion. I don't think there's any like standout trait per se, but I think he catches the ball well, solid athlete, good route runner. Like there's just kind of check boxes with that. So those are the most likely guys. That's kind of what the board looks like as far as the guys that we feel good about where Notre Dame stands with them. And then I threw out a couple guys. Just we talk a lot about Tyler Williams. I think somebody asked a question about Tyler Williams somewhere in this chat out of Lakeland, Florida. Look, Tyler Williams is a really talented player. I think he's ultimately going to be a tough player to get out of SEC country. But right now, We've been told that there's some interest on his end, but until he makes his way up to, to Notre Dame, I I just I can't jump on that bandwagon yet, man. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I would love them to be in a good position with Tyler Williams because his upside is through the roof. But he's a player to monitor, but not a player that I feel great about right now. And the last guy that's super interesting I threw in there was Lee Summit wide receiver Joshua Manning. He's 6'3", 190, really good long jumper in track and field. He's over a 22-foot long jumper, so he's explosive. He's athletic. He brings a lot of the same qualities that I just talked about with Tyler Williams. He's long and explosive, not quite as fast as Tyler Williams, but I think there's tremendous upside there. So he's a guy to definitely keep an eye on, but he didn't get his offer until um, I think May. So he's a guy that hasn't been on the board for very long here, but Manning is a very talented player. So a couple sleepers there to keep an eye on, but ultimately I think the the first priorities in this class are Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores, and fit and trying to get back in good graces with Ronan Hannafin right now. Agree. It's a good one. And I, I just had to bring this up. This was really funny. So, you know, we, we have said before, we invite fans from other programs to come on our shows. We love it. Just be respectful. Don't be an idiot. And for the most part, that's always been the case. We've had some LSU fans come in here and act like knuckleheads, but we have, we've had USC fans come in here. Be great. Alabama fan. We haven't seen him in a while, but Ladarius Martin's coming here a lot. And now we've got Antoine Johnson, who is a Michigan fan. And uh, Antoine, you're really messing things up because as my guy beat 99 props BK1 says, Antoine challenges my view of Michigan fans. Stop it, Antoine. I don't want to think Michigan fans can be level-headed, level-headed, realistic, and intelligent because Antoine is, is providing some really good chat into there. So I just wanted to get that out there because, uh, look, we, 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 we like to talk ball here. And, you know, if you're another fan, a fan of another program and you come in here and be respectful and, and be, talk ball, you don't have to agree with us. You can still think Michigan would beat Notre Dame every single time, uh, but just talk ball. And that's what I love about Antoine is, is he he comes in there and talks ball. And Ladarius was that way too, and we appreciate that very, very much. Alex Udell says, Brian and Vince, isn't it true that Dairy Queen is greater than Culver's? That is not true. I don't know who told you that. Whoever told you that is lying, Alex. That is not accurate or true at all. 
I've never been to Culver's. Is it good? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like with anything, you got to go to a place that's actually, you know, has good management and they take care of their food and do all that stuff. But yes, when it's done right, I, I like it. The one thing I like more about Dairy Queen is I do like Dairy Queen's chicken nuggets. Um, And I'm, and I'm more of an ice cream cone guy. And so I think their ice cream cones are good, but just from a pure, pure food standpoint, uh, I think that, uh, I think that Culver's is definitely better than Dairy Queen. There's no question about it. In my view, Shane O'Shea asked this question, Ryan. I'd be curious to get your thoughts, and then I'll share mine. After Saban leaves Alabama, do you think the program will remain one of the best? They were blue blood but didn't have much success the 20 years before Saban. I would say the 15 years before Saban because within the 20 years before he arrived in 2007, they had won a title. Gene Stallings won a title in, what was it, 92? Right? So they had won a title in that 20-year frame, and they had some really good teams during the Gene Stallings era. The two previous coaches, Mike DuBois and uh, Mike Shula, weren't good. And obviously mm-hmm. they'd kind of fallen off a little bit at the end of Stallings compared to what they were at the beginning. But, you know, they, they won a title in the 90s, Alabama right. did. Mm-hmm. And embarrassed the U in doing it, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, it was the Dennis Erickson U, so it's a little different than, you know, beating a Jimmy Johnson or Howard Schnellenberger U, but, you know, they still won it. But his point is correct. The two previous coaches were essentially failures. So Ryan, to your yep. to Shane's question, if Saban leaves Bama, do you think they will remain one of the best programs? It depends on who the next coach is. I mean, I need to have a little bit of clarification on who the next coach is. I mean, if it's if you're bringing Mike Shola back, then no, it's it's not going to last too long. I think it's it could be one of those situations where it is a Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley thing that we just talked about, right? They're left in a good situation. Maybe they're good for a couple years after that, but eventually things are going to start to deteriorate a little bit or go in the opposite direction. But it really depends on who the next coach is. So it's hard to answer. I'll say it's going to be hard to stay up to the same standard that Coach Saban has obviously brought the the team to in recent years. So I'll say they'll take a slight step back, most likely, dependent upon who's who's the next head coach, regardless of who the next head coach is. But it's very dependent on who the next head coach is. So it's hard to say. I would say he's correct in that answer. My answer would be is I think uh, my answer would be no. They won't remain an elite program because to your point, Ryan, I don't see a, a, a guy that's an up and coming coach or an established coach wanting that job. You don't ever want to be the guy that replaces the guy, right? Urban Meyer didn't replace Steve Spurrier. He replaced around Zook, right? Technically Urban Meyer didn't replace Jim Tressel. He replaced Luke Fickle, right? Cause there was that year in between. So I don't, I don't think you want to be the guy that replaces the guy. If it's been a long-term thing, like, like replacing Jimmy Johnson at Miami wasn't that big of a deal. Jimmy Johnson wasn't there that long. Right. He was there like, what, five, six years at the most. And and so it, you, you just don't want to be that guy that replaces the guy. And and there's a lot of pressure there. And coaches make so much money at other schools that it's kind of like, do I really want that headache? You know, where, yeah, I can make eight million a year there, but then I get fired in three years where I can make three or four million here and be here for 10 years or five, you know, 10, 15 years. And, you know, it may it may it's just a little, it's not for everybody. I think they're going to have a really tough time replacing Saban because honestly my thought is I don't think Saban's I I was I thought Saban was going to walk away the next title he won and then he won a title in 2020 and didn't walk away so I I don't know if he's going to leave anytime soon and I just have a feeling that eventually they're going to start to kind of go down and and it's not going to be the same attractive program it was if he doesn't like if if he doesn't walk away in the next three four years I don't think Alabama's going to be as good and they're still going to be very good, but it's not quite as good. 
So I, I think that factors into it as well, but I just don't see them getting the kind of coaches. Look, I think people, oh, Dabo, I don't see Dabo. If Dabo's not willing to get into the things that that's happening right now at Clemson, you think he's going to come to Bama and do that? Heck no. And if he doesn't, the boosters will run him out of town, right? So I, I don't think they're going to remain that way because I don't think that they're going to get a coach who wants to replace Saban. That's, that's my two cents. I could be wrong, and Ryan is correct. If they do hire that guy, then they'll keep winning. Because it has a lot of resources. Because the the secret is, Ryan, it, it's like every great program has a chance to be great if you hire the right guy. And every every program makes the wrong hires, you know, and it from at from time to time. Notre Dame's made some bad hires and they've made some good hires. The good hires panned out and the bad hires didn't. It's not it's not rocket science, right? And Alabama tried to replace Gene Stallings with a, a former assistant. That doesn't work out a ton. You know, a long time assistant gets probably doesn't often work out a ton. Sometimes it does work out for Dabo, right? But uh, it was actually pretty funny. I was I was I was on um, I was watching an old Clemson game from like 04, I think it was what it was what it was, and I see Chancey Stuckey's getting talked to by Tommy Bowden on the bench because Chancey Stuckey was a player then, and right behind him is Dabo, who was the I forget you know the receivers coach. So it was like it was kind of funny to see that, but. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty interesting. But I, that's that's my two cents. It's a good answer, Ryan. Tyler Evans, in your opinion, what state are uh, is it hard for Notre Dame to recruit recruit kids from? I think I think to me the toughest state for Notre Dame to to recruit volume is probably Florida and Ohio. Okay, I think you're not going to consistently beat Ohio State when they're good. For most of the kids, you're going to get a kid or two, and that's what you all you need to do. Get a couple, like get a Liam Meikenberg and a Tommy Kramer in one class. Then a year or two later, you get another kid, and you get a Brennan Vernon. But you're just not going to go in there and beat them for Brennan Vernon and Malik Hartford and Josh Padilla, and you, you know what I mean. Like you're just you're not going to go in there last year, beat them for you know CJ Hicks, and you know start naming off all the lines and Sonny Styles, and you're just Powers not going to do that. And- yeah. Right. You're just not going to consistently do that. Most of the yeah. kids are going to go Ohio. What Notre Dame used to do is they'd get enough of those Catholic school kids. They could beat them for them and and then, you know, have enough to where you had an impact. I still think floor, getting the high level kids from Florida is still is still very challenging. Consistently, because, consistently do it. Because of the number of programs in the NSC country and also the quality of high school? It's a little bit, yeah. yeah. I think it's about – there's so many good programs close by. The Keon Keelys don't come along very often, right? I mean, we're talking about Richard Young. You even said the kid sounds like a Notre Dame kid. But, you know, when was the last time Notre Dame signed two five-star kids from Florida in the same class, right? It, been a long time i would imagine you know if it's ever happened so i just i think that's still a hard place and it's it's a terrible education system i mean so many of those kids just and there's a lot of high school coaches down there not all but there's there's enough to where it impacts that are there just to coach football they don't really care about getting kids eligible or making sure kids are getting an education or if they are if they do care about that it's only to make sure they're eligible to play for them not necessarily, you know, taking a, you know, can I, will I sit my stud running back because he didn't go to class this week because I have a bigger important message to to send to him than just can we win this game on Friday night with or without you? Of course we can. Mm-hmm. But I care more about you developing as a young man than I do about this. Well, okay, I do that and then I get fired. Right? I mean, that that's the reality of it. Yep. 
So I think that it's, it's all those factors, Ryan, it's the weather, it's, it's the so many schools that you'd have to think of all the big time programs you have to bypass mm-hmm. to go from Tampa, Florida to, you know, to know, to South Bend, Indiana. And so you're going to get those kids every now and then you're, you know, like they would have got a look, Notre Dame would have got another Berkeley prep kid in the 2018 class. If Harry Heastan doesn't leave, Nicholas Pettiferre was going to sign with Notre Dame. If Harry Heastan doesn't leave. All right. So you can get those kids. You're just not going to do it consistently and you're not going to do it in a volume standpoint. So I think that would be my, I mean, Texas, I would have added to that before, but I never felt Texas was hard for Notre Dame. They just didn't try in Notre Dame. Notre Dame didn't really try in Texas as much. Do you, do you you think California might be a little tougher with the USC dynamic now or not as much now? Because they've always gotten kids out of it. I mean, when Charlie was at Notre Dame and, and USC was in its heyday, Notre Dame still went out there and beat them for kids, beat them for Manti, you know, who was from Hawaii, beat them, you know, beat them for Jimmy Clausen, beat them for Dane Chris, beat them for Sierra Wood. You know, they, they beat them for plenty of West Coast kids. Not all of them are from California, to your point, but like, you know, beat them for Ethan Johnson. So they, Notre Dame has always been able to go out to California. Now, I don't know if the dynamics are changing now compared to what they've been. That could be the case, uh, but that'll make it interesting, Ryan. That's a, that's a really good question that I don't, I, based on history, I would say no, but I am very curious to see how the dynamics of California are changing because you've seen a lot of kids leave the state. That's why there's more kids in Arizona now. There's even more kids in Texas now. I think that factors into it as well. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And how does NIL factor into that? Because before it's like you just, you know, it's, it's about the education and USC is actually a good school, but, you know, I, I, do I want to get away? Some kids may say, yeah, I love the West Coast. Other kids may, I mean, if you've been in California lately, it's like, yeah, I want to get away from this. You know, I mean, it just depends on where a kid's coming from and, and what his likes and dislikes are. So I'm very curious how that plays out, Ryan. That's a very good question. Like, I'm going to say no yeah. with an asterisk of, we haven't seen Notre Dame really hit California hard. I think the talent level in California has gone way down, way down compared to what it used to be. I mean, if you think about it, in the last NFL draft, California, I think, was third in total number of players produced, right? You've seen that graphic. Texas was number one with 32. Georgia was next with 30. California was third with 22. And then Florida had 30. I like to use the Electoral College as an <laughs> example to kind of prove my point of of um, you know, of, of kind of size. And if you look at the, the electoral college from just 2020, right, the last presidential election, California had 55 electoral votes. Texas has 38. Florida has, well, like 20, 29. That's almost twice as many elect. And, and the reason I point that out is because that's determined by population. Sure. Texas, yeah. California is a significantly bigger state than even Texas population wise. Yet Texas continues to produce more and more and more kids than California because you're just not seeing as many big time. Like, can you name a single offensive lineman from California in this recruiting class? No, I can't. I can't. Ten I years can't. ago, you'd have been able to name this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid. It would have been no problem. Yeah. Right. And so I think that that's changed the dynamic of California as well. That's weird. Yeah, I did. Wow. Yeah, that's in, I, I literally can't think of any right now. I, I don't think Mar- modern day or St. John Bosco have anybody right in this class. Not, I, I mean, none, none in the 23 class There's some younger right. kids. Sure. But like I don't I can't think of off the top of my head more than a, a one or two, maybe really good to front seven guys in this mm-hmm. class. 
Yeah. You know, they're still doing the skill, but you know, are, so are those kids moving? Are they going to Utah? Are they going to Colorado? Are they going to Texas? I, I going somewhere. Going somewhere. Sure. Connor O'Doherty says, if they, if they all wanted to come, would we Notre Dame take all three of uh, Jeremiah Love, Jay Lamar and Richard Young? I'd say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that you yeah. look Lamar and young are the true runners in that group. And then you give love a chance to play it too, but he's also an athlete in case it doesn't work out. So yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the question was yesterday or a few days ago after Richard young made his official, um, after he set up his official visit, the question is, do you take Richard young if it pushes it to three backs? And the answer is yes. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. So you can think of it as Love and Lamar are the class, and then Richard Young is just too good to not say no to. Like, just think of it that way because it he is. I mean, like, make no mistake about it. Whether he wants ends up at Notre Dame or not, he is the best running back in this class, in my opinion. Like, he mm-hmm. is a special runner. It's him or so. Cedric Baxter are the two for me. I, it, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Those are the two for me, and it just depends on what type of back you're looking for. But yeah, Richard Young's in that conference, and it's a short conversation. I've had people. Uh, there's a kid from Texas that I've had people mention to me as a guy that's in that conversation. For me, it's those two. I, I, I just, it, it's those two for sure. There, there's no question about it. Rob Didoff says Brian, Vince, and Ryan. And when Ryan joins, Tony Rice is my fi- my all time favorite player. Obviously, he would not be the starting quarterback in today's offensive schemes. What position today does would he play based on his skills? I disagree with you, Rob, because. If he was coming out today, there's a chance Notre Dame would be playing against Tony Rice because he'd be at Navy. Because <laughs> he would be a sick fair. triple option quarterback in it for Ed Navy. Because he has he's a great runner, he makes great reads, and he's got a cannon for an arm. And that's exactly what they needed and they want in that offense. So I actually I actually think he might still be playing the triple option or playing because he he'd either be an army or navy, in my opinion, maybe even army. You know, because Jeff Monken's doing some really, really good things there. So, you know, they have some of the same issues getting there, but they got into Notre Dame. But if he could, if he could have got in with the test score, I, I could see him running the option. But to, to to respect your question, Ryan, what position do you think he would be playing in today's game if it wasn't at quarterback? I think he'd be yeah. catching passes. Yeah, I, I would say I would say he'd be a pretty damn good slot receiver in my opinion, right? Like that's that seems like he probably had the Avery Davis type of. I mean, he's a better athlete than Avery, but yeah, that would probably be his projection, right? Quarterback, turn, slot receiver, whatever. You know, he's a gifted athlete, so get him in space type of player, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Here we go, Ryan. Uh, Antoine Porsche Rodos says, Brian, you and Ryan were talking about a school that Notre Dame hasn't played that'd be a good home and home to have with. I think Memphis would be a great one. He'd mentioned that in one of our comments the other day. I just don't know what Notre Dame gets out of playing Memphis. Because I think if you group of five and right. all that stuff. And, and yeah. I understand where he's coming from, but like I think playing Tennessee, if you're interested, because I think part of Antoine's thing is this is what he said on the message board or on the uh the chat, the chat from the show that we did on this. You know, there's talent in Memphis, right? I don't know if there's a ton of it, but I don't know if playing against Memphis ha- is as impactful for you against the best players in Memphis as playing in Tennessee would. That's just my sense because yeah. I don't see Memphis beating Tennessee for a lot of kids at Tennessee once if Tennessee's even decent. So, but I, I get the premise, and that's kind of where I'm coming from with my Tennessee rivalry. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Memphis does that for you. I mean, it, no one's going to care if Notre Dame played Memphis and, and beat them. It's a lose-lose yeah. for you if you're Notre Dame. If you lose to them, you're crushed. <laughs> if you beat them, it's like, well, of course you did. They're Memphis, right? right. Which I think is, I mean, I think Memphis is a good football program, but still, mm-hmm. you just don't get the same. 
you'll get say boom for your uh, uh, uh bang for your buck bang for your buck so boom yeah. for your buck. that didn't sound right that's not right <laughs> Yeah, Tennessee Tennessee's an interesting one because they're also one of the teams that are throwing out all the NIL money, right? So it'd be nice mm-hmm. to have that matchup and show that doesn't matter fully, right? It's still about right. developing You can go there, get money, and then we're going to beat right. your brains in, exactly. and you're going to get picked lower than you would here. You know, that, that money – because here's the thing you pitch. Like, look, we're producing kids at a higher level. The money you're going to make there compared to what you're going to make here is less than what your signing bonus difference is going to be if you come play for us. Yeah. I hope Notre Dame's having that conversation. Here's sure. what our guys have made in the NFL draft the last five, six years. Here's what Tennessee guys have, because it is way more than a couple million dollars. Yes. It's in the tens of millions of dollars, if not more, mm-hmm. when you look at the contracts that their name players have signed the last 10 years. I mean, there, there's been stretches where Tennessee's gone multiple drafts without a guy being picked. I mean, like, I'm right on that, right? Aren't I right? I think I, I'm so. pretty sure. I mean, I got all these w- great websites. That, like, just, it's that's one thing. I, the internet sucks in some ways, but in other ways, it's phenomenal. Uh, because you can just quickly, things are just at the tip of your hand. Tennessee, yes, they didn't have a kid picked in 15 or 16. <laughs> and so then bad. they didn't have a kid picked in 19. Oof. And this past year, they had five. They've, yep. they've had five, six, but most years it's like two. Like in 2014, they had a kid picked in round one. The next year were like six and six. You know, 2021, they had two guys picked in three and six, two and seven, three, six and six. You know, it's yeah, it's not, it's not a ton of guys. I'll say that. I'll say this off, uh, just completely off, off the cuff here. Memphis has some great uniforms though, so they are very visual. Some of their combinations, I've oh, I love them all, man. Yeah. Those baby blues or the blacks, yeah. they're they're all nice. It's the helmet thing. for me. I love their yeah. uniforms and their helmets. I don't, I don't like the, the blue helmet, the Bengal stripes. Oh, I kind of like. I it. like the. Tra- like I'm it. a traditionalist, man. I, I I like things like I like the block M with the tiger on. I think that's really hot. I think the gray helmet when they go gray helmet with the blue and the blue, I dig that. I, I like the gray. That. I like the gray uniforms too. Yeah. I feel like I, I think they're sharp. Yeah. Now, see the gray. If I was gonna go all gray, then I'd be okay going a blue helmet. But I'd still go. I'd just make the sticker gray with the tiger as opposed to the the bangle thing. I just don't. I think I don't like the bangle stripes. I think the only way it works for me is with the actual Cincinnati Bengals because I think there's such a contrast in the black and the orange that it makes sense. I don't mm-hmm. think gray and blue contrast enough, or white and blue contrast enough to really make that make a lot of sense to me it's fair it's fair yeah. yep good question antoine B- 99 problems bk1 without gallagher what does a realistic dream for receiver class look like now on and on a scale of one to ten how confident are you in each one so we've already I mean, kind of done the confidence level just let's talk about yeah. what the four would be i mean the realistic class i would say is braylon james Jaden Greathouse, ronan hannafin and rico flores now that's what i would say is the realistic class the dream class is that tyler williams is somewhere in that conversation somehow and we don't know if that's a plausible thing or not but if you can get in with a guy like a tyler williams or even i i would really consider joshua manning in this class to be honest with you so Mm But right now, I would say realistic is James, Greathouse, Flores, and Hannafin, I think makes a lot of sense. Here's an interesting one, Ryan, that I'll post to you. Would you agree with me that Rico Flores has the higher floor than Joshua Manning? Yes. Would you also agree with me that Joshua Manning has a higher ceiling than Rico Flores? Much higher ceiling. Okay. We're on Uh the same page then. No doubt about it. That's why I like I, I like I think you almost kind of have to take Rico Flores because you you look you need at least one or two guys in this class that can help you out as a freshman, whether it's mm-hmm. to just push their end of the field or to 
to to you know to just Hell if death. an injury happens, something like yeah, that, right? Right. Right. So uh, I definitely, I definitely uh, th- think that there's a need for that. But that's the reason I really like Joshua Manny because I think Joshua Manny's a kid with a very high ceiling. So, yeah. Um, yeah. He returns kicks for them too, man. He, yeah. he can he can scoot a little bit. Yep, he's interesting. No doubt. I just wanted to share something. I just got a message. Somebody wants to kill some rumors. Apparently. Uh, there are some rumors that Braylon James is going to be taking more visits. I just got a message from somebody that would know that said uh, it's not happening. And he is uh, not, he's not 100% solid to Notre Dame. He is 110% solid to Notre Dame. So I just want to make sure that if there are any rumors out there about that, any clickbait stuff, I want to let y'all know that that is uh, nothing to put any stock in. I haven't heard that yet, but it doesn't surprise me because there's a lot of clickbait stuff out there going on. Irish, May all. If the big programs break away and form a super league, does Notre Dame get an invite? And if so, what are the chances they accept? The first part is a no-brainer. Yes, that's there's mm-hmm. there's no doubt. Will they accept the invite? I think it depends on. I think yes. I think Father Jenkins said some things, but I don't think Father Jenkins is going to be at Notre Dame when that decision gets made. I don't see any way in which Notre Dame walks away from big time college football. I, I just th- there, there's too many boosters and board members and and people with positions of power that would say you're not going to commit financial suicide for this, for this institution. You know, Uh, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit too strong, but Notre Dame depends a lot on, especially from an athletic standpoint on the money that the football program generates. And if Notre Dame is all of a sudden playing nothing but group of five schools, I don't, I don't think that continues. The TV deal's gone, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that would change in my opinion. And I just don't see them doing that. It's a nice threat, and I wouldn't mind them using it to say, hey, look, we're going to make sure we do some things right. But as long as it's not a direct pay-for-play situation, then I think Notre Dame joins. I think that's mm-hmm. the big concern that Notre Dame has is the pay-for-play thing. I think it's problematic. Yeah. Gabe Wee says, Notre Dame winning against USC this year is up to Harry Heastan and now Washington, in my opinion. I'd say it's a little bit more complicated than that, but, yeah, that's where it starts. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of like the conversation we had yesterday, Ryan. If Notre Dame's going to win that game, they're going to have to they're going to have to play very well in the trenches. That's There's no that, doubt. That's where your clear advantage is, right? Like that's where. Right. Well, I should say your that is where your biggest advantage is, without a doubt, is in the trenches. So yeah, that's where. I think that's one of those things. Like everyone talks about, well, Quentin Nelson against USC a few years ago, right? Like that everyone mm-hmm. kind of gets flashes of that. Like that's what this situation has to be, in my opinion. You have to get them to tap out, and that's. I think that's the best, clearest way to getting there is to uh, get a Quentin Nelson versus Rasheen Green again. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Let's get down to some more here. Okay. Connor O'Doherty. Who do you guys think is Notre Dame's biggest rival? I will always see a lot of debate on social media, and I personally think it's USC with no question. I w- what would the debate be? Who else would it be? Michigan? They, yeah, people would say Michigan. I don't even play yeah. Michigan. Yeah, anymore like, right now. Yeah. Like and and even I mean they went decades without playing Michigan because Michigan mm-hmm. didn't want to play them. So, I don't and I know I'm in the minority on this. I don't view Michigan as a rival of Notre Dame's. And I grew up with it being a rival. I, I don't think it's been a rivalry for a long time. Just because just I just maybe that's my disdain for Michigan, but I always valued the Michigan State game more than the Michigan game from a rivalry standpoint. Now, the Michigan games always had much bigger 
like the Michigan game was always big to me because when growing up, because Michigan was always good and mm-hmm. beating them always gave you a good win and a chance to play for a title. Right. And then right. losing to them, you know, obviously would hurt. But as far as just a rival, because a rivalry to me is not just a hatred. I think there's got to be some level of respect involved, at least from a Notre Dame standpoint. And Michigan State has always had Notre Dame's back. And when Notre Dame was trying to make runs and join the Big Ten way back in the day, Michigan State was one of the team, you know, the the non-anti-Catholics programs that tried to help Notre Dame get involved. You know, and and if you know Notre Michigan's history from a anti-Catholic and race standpoint, you may not be a big Michigan fan if we're just going to be honest about that. But uh, I would say I would say Na- I would say Navy and, and Michigan. I mean, Navy and USC are Notre Dame's biggest rivals, in my opinion. I, I don't view yeah. Michigan as a rival. When was the last? You know, they played nineteen and eighteen, and then before that, it was what fourteen, something like that. You yeah. know, I just I don't view it, and, and I like what Chief it's... Brody said. I really hate Michigan. That's all. <laughs> Love the show. Agree with you completely. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I completely agree with you in the sense that, like, it has to for a rivalry, it has to be a consistent thing, right? Like, right. continuous, and it's, it hasn't been continuous in Michigan. I, mean, I will say though, that is definitely my most hated team that Notre Dame plays, right. but it's not the biggest rivalry anymore. It's just not right. Yeah, I, that that I agree with Ryan. That we agree wholeheartedly. I don't, I don't dislike anyone more than I dislike Michigan. And Antoine, I'm not gonna lie, Antoine is jacking up my little bit because I've always kind of joked on here and made fun of Michigan fans because I've never met an intelligent Michigan fan. But Antoine is kind of messing that up for us. So he is kind of he is kind of messing up our flow. Speaking of Antoine, he has a question that I think a lot of non-Notre Dame fans come at me with this a lot. And so mm-hmm. we'll address it. I have a question. So the do the new scheduling situation that's coming up, do you think this will squeeze Notre Dame into joining a conference? I don't. The only the only thing that could in my opinion, force Notre Dame into a conference beyond just absurd amounts of money. Like Notre Dame's getting 15 million from the TV deal and every other school's getting like 16, 17, 80 million, which is a, to me a bit of a ways away. Cause that would require Notre Dame to go down and those programs to go way, way up. Mm-hmm. It is if the, if the conference has just started having like 10, 11 game conference schedules and every team could only have like one non-conference or two non-conference games. I think that would be the only thing that could remotely even get Notre Dame to consider that. But even then, you'd still have some teams that would be willing to play Notre Dame. There's a lot of Power 5 teams that aren't big-time programs that would be dying to play Notre Dame to get money in a, in a home-and-home. And, and exposure, not just money, but exposure. So even then, I still think Notre Dame would – it would be – it would take a lot. I, I don't think – like, I think there's a thought of non-Notre Dame fans, like there's something people can do to squeeze Notre Dame to a conference. And I think the COVID year should have pretty much squashed all that because there were multiple conferences that reached out to Notre Dame saying, hey, come play with us. You know, like, look, Notre Dame still, a lot of non-Notre Dame fans don't want to hear this. But there's a reason why it was NCAA and Notre Dame as the two logos on NCAA football back in the day. Notre Dame is still a very much a power broker in college football because what they don't realize is you don't have to be a great program to be a power broker because power brokers, are the people that wield the dollars and Notre Dame still very much throws a lot of weight around financially. And that's just always going to be true in my opinion. So I don't think that, that like, did you, you remember Ryan when, when the, when the ACC brought Michigan in or Notre Dame in and like people like David Cutcliffe and Pat Narduzzi were whining and crying about it. And the national media was like, they should tell Notre Dame to pound sand. Yeah. They should sacrifice millions of dollars and getting a chance to have Notre Dame in their conference and all that that brings 
so to help your ego and anti Notre Dame stands like that's that's dumb, right? But that showed that look, there's a ton of people that would love to play them, you know. So um, that I don't, I just yeah. don't see that. I think it would just have to be where there's just no room to schedule non conferences would be the only thing that could really impact that, Ryan. In my opinion, it's so weird that the, the anti Notre Dame people out there, man. It's like the, Notre Dame hasn't even been like super relevant from a championship perspective mm-hmm. in a while, and they still hate Notre Dame for whatever reason. It's really weird, and, and I hate I, hate is a strong word. I dislike this the conference talk to be honest because I, mm-hmm. I just think that there's way more positives to being it to being independent than being in a conference for Notre Dame. I just think there's mm-hmm. way more, and I always hear people that are not you know anti Notre Dame people that are like, oh, they have you make them join a conference, make them. We make them. You don't have right. that power. Like that's their right. like that's their decision. So they yeah, don't, I don't and they I, don't really understand how powerful Notre Dame is. I think that's the problem. And they think, well, they're, they, they think, well, they haven't been relevant on the field for as a title contender in a long time. So why does that, then no one should care. It's not about that. It's still about the dollar and it's still about exposure. And, you know, that's why every year that Notre Dame is good and they play a big time game. It's always like one of the two most watched games. Cause you've got all the people that want to watch that game to hate Notre Dame. And that makes them money. They like your hatred makes them money, makes ESPN money, it makes NBC money, it makes Notre Dame money. And you don't have the the power um, to to force Notre Dame to do anything Notre Dame doesn't want to do. Right. I mean, you're so far away from that. I like I said, the only thing that could change that is the money gets so absurd that Notre Dame just can't afford to say no to it. Uh, or as far as being forced, or the like, I said the scheduling is such that they they just can't afford. They, they team, like, hey, we're going to go to a eleven plus one schedule, or we're getting rid of the twelfth games because we're going to have a conference championships. So we're going ten plus one. I think that would be the only thing. If all the Power Five conferences adopted that, that would be the only thing that could remotely start pushing. In my opinion, pushing Notre Dame into that is my. Is is would be my thoughts on that, Ryan? Yep. Very good question, Antoine. Mm-hmm. Here's here's a good one from ninety nine problems of BK one. If Notre Dame got my, both Micah Tees and Micah Bell, who would be the better receiver, especially in terms of fit with respect to the rest of the anticipated twenty twenty three receiver class? Bell with the speed is intriguing to me. It's a interesting comparison because Micah Bell plays running back for his high school, right? So you don't see him do too much in the passing game. Micah Tease is the one that is the wide receiver in his offense. I so naturally, like I'd be more, I'd be more satisfied with the projection for for Micah Tease just because I've seen him do it. I would, I mean, I agree though. Ninety nine problems, like I would love to see Micah Bell in, in, as a slot option with that speed. Like I think that that's a really imposing proposition but I, I just really haven't seen him catch the ball much you know so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of a tougher projection so I say out of those two you, Michael Bell if one of them had to play offense which we'll see what happens I, I would say Michael Bell stays a corner and Micah Tease is the slot in my opinion I like Micah Tease I, I mean I'm with you Ryan the the speed intrigues me but I think He's more of a running back. We haven't seen him play receiver. I think Mike is a natural receiver. I think he's, I think he's got higher upside on defense. I think he's a really, 
Think about Micah Tease. He's a really smart football player on both sides of the ball. So I mean, he can play a lot of different positions. And I think Micah Bell can too. I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm just focusing on Micah Tease. He's, he just has in- instincts on both sides of the ball. I just think his size speed combination fits better on defense, whether it's as, as a corner, a slot, a safety, wherever. I just think he's a natural corner and he does everything he does on, on defense is just natural instinct and talent. He doesn't, he's not as, as coached up as well on that side of the balls as he is on offense. So I think, he would be a kid that could make a, a quick transition to offense. I just think his ceiling is higher on the other side. I think both of their ceilings are higher on defense for different reasons. Micah Bell, just because, you know, a 5'11 kid that can run that fast, that's as skinny as he is, is not a running back. Right. Maybe he could be a receiver, but I just think a kid like that is a is a real – I mean, because he's a kid that if the technique and the instincts are ever able to match the speed, he's an elite player. And mm-hmm. you just don't have kids. There's so many kids nowadays that do want to play offense that you're not getting as many kids like that at corner, which is why I think corners become such a premium position in the NFL draft, in my opinion. And one of these days I'm going to have to get Ryan's Ryan's take on that because I think that would be very, very, very interesting. No, no question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, here we go. So somebody gave some context on that. Uh, Irish Natty within three years. The Braylon James rumors are from butthurt Texas fans. I've seen a lot of great houses coming to UT and the Braylon James recruitment is not over yet. I'll just say this. Uh, so yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense. That wouldn't surprise me at all, but he's, uh, I don't think either one of those things are true. All right, let's get down to some more questions here. D troll hunter. Sorry. We did. Did we get to my not recruiting, but mailbag question who wins in a pickup game of Ryan and Vince or Brian and Sean football, basketball, baseball. Oh my gosh. Uh, baseball. That's me. Football. That's me. Basketball. I've never seen any of those guys play basketball. Uh, I would not be, I would not win because I couldn't make it to a game of five. I'm so out of shape. I don't think I could last for a game of five, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Sean has game. I don't know if Vince has game. I've never seen those guys play basketball. So I really can't, I can't answer that one. Jay Henry, who's faster, Jeremiah uh, Love or Micah Bell? Micah Bell track wise is faster. I would argue he's also more explosive uh, on the field, but I think, I think Jeremiah Love is still an ascending player. Um, that that will continue to get better and play faster and those kind of things. So we'll see how that one how that one pans out. 99 prospects BK1 says, I know you said that they are somewhat similar prospects, but how would you compare and contrast Tyler Williams and Joshua Manning traits ceiling floor? Mm-hmm. Ryan, for me, I think Tyler Williams has a higher ceiling and a higher floor. 
I, I think he's just a significantly better player in, in, in just about every regard. I do think similarly, they are similar style of players, though. I, I do agree yeah. with that. So traits, very similar. Ceiling and floor, to me, both both higher for Tyler Williams. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think of it at this way, right? Tyler Williams is about 6'3", 185 pounds. Joshua Manning is about 6'3", 190 pounds. So they're basically the same size. They have similar length. They're both explosive football players. They both have speed as well. I think Tyler just everything about his speed explosiveness is just like a click higher than a guy like a Joshua Manning. So I think he's just a little bit of a higher quality athlete than him, to be honest with you. And the one thing that we don't talk enough about with Tyler Williams is Tyler Williams hasn't been playing wide receiver very long, right? Like he's a kid that was playing quarterback. So he's still learning the position, which gives you even more like, wow, how good can this kid be? So mm-hmm. I think stylistically they're very similar because they're long athletic kids who have speed to burn. But I think Tyler Williams is just maybe just a, a cut above as far as an athlete. Yeah, no doubt. I love this. Michael Parks, chicken wings, Mountain Dew, and Irish breakdown on a sunny day. Don't get much better than this. I'm actually going to be having the same thing. We're not having a sunny day. But I got uh, – so my birthday was, was it last week now. Yeah, it was last week. And uh, I got – you know, I'm signed up for those different clubs. And so I had some free chicken wings. So I got some last night when I was out running errands. I had to go buy a new lawnmower. And I had to go to the Midwest Gun Exchange to get some things there and had to go pick up some stuff from Angela. So I stopped got us dinner. I got her, her favorite Chinese place, and I got some free buffalo wings. So I got – I'm going to have those. I got I had half of them last night and have some more today. So, and of course, I'm always going to be drinking Mountain Dew. So – Michael, we're going to be sharing similar meal today, buddy. There's no doubt I'm sharing similar meal. Blaine Tiller thinks Tony Rice would still be a quarterback. And I think the premise would be because if he was growing up in today's game, and I think this is a very, very fair point. Mm -hmm. If he was growing up in today's game, he'd have been throwing from the time he was eight years old. He'd have been at camps. He'd have been seven on sevens. Like he would have developed better as a passer because he had a great arm. But, you know, growing up, he was an option quarterback his whole life. So I, I think that's a very fair point, and I've heard this mentioned before. And I've and I've made this argument with, like, when people try to say, well, you know, so-and-so is better than John Elway. And I'm like, based on what? And they're like, well, look at the numbers. And I'm like, well, that's a silly argument. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's a different era. It's a different game. Right. And, you know, and and what would John Elway do if in today's era if, of of the game? And it's just, you know, so I, it's, it's a really fair point. Blaine and I and I think it deserves some thought and conversation because I I do think that was I think the premise how I took the premise of the question however was more of like the version that we got at Notre Dame what is that guy playing right to me you're taking it in a much deeper way which I think is a really good conversation Mm -hmm. but less provable for me because we know what Tony was I think you can make a theoretical case that if he grew up in today's and I've said this about basketball players too right? Is like, if basketball play, like, oh, you know, this guy's better than that guy. Why? Well, look how well he shoots threes. Well, if Michael Jordan grew up in the same era that Steph Curry grew up in, he'd be shooting a lot of three-pointers. He grew up in an era where when Michael was really young, there wasn't a three-point line. The three-point right. line didn't come to the NBA to like, what, 79, 80? Somewhere like around so, there, right? Like, like that, yeah. You know, so like, think about same thing with Larry Bird. When Larry Bird was growing up, the three-pointer wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so is this a different era when you grow up and the threes are what they are? Of course, you're going to learn to shoot three points. Just the game has changed. But if Michael Jordan was growing up and he was a 25 year old now, he'd have grown up shooting three pointers his whole life. And guess what? Michael Jordan could have been a good at anything he did on a basketball court. Right. And and that's the thing is, is uh, you look at how his game changed. You look at what Michael Jordan was for the second three titles and you look mm-hmm. at what Michael Jordan was in the 80s. Completely different player. 
Why? Because right. his game changed. It evolved with the time, and as he matured as a player, so I, I would, I would, I would say, I would say that there's merit to that. That's I think big picture. I think there's merit to what Blaine is saying, Ryan. Do you remember? Do you remember how how big was Tony Rice? Do you remember like size? Like six two. Oh, yeah, so he's I think he's like six two. Yeah, I think so. I'll have to look. Yeah. But yeah, he he was a good size guy. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, that up. I, think I mean, like th- there's. There's no reason then if, if he's a kid that has a strong arm and you would assume that he'd grow up in a different way as far as, you know, th- throw in more consistently, maybe working with quarterback coaches, all that type of stuff. If he's 6'2", good athlete, and has an arm, there's no reason to think that he can in this era now, right? I mean, I mean, what would be the difference between him and a guy like a Lamar Jackson or, you know, Deshaun Watson or somebody like that? I mean, he's a – a bigger athlete. So yeah, I, I don't see there's, I don't, I don't, I don't see like what would be the setback to him playing quarterback or not in today's era. I'm actually looking that up. I actually have a, a <laughs> book here that has the 1988 for the 1988 Notre Dame season. And so I'm trying to look up the roster and to see what Tony's height was, but I believe he was six, two, but I don't want to be inaccurate on that. So he was listed at six, one, one ninety eight on the 1988 roster. So big enough. So close. Yeah. Close, mm-hmm. close. All right. Antoine trying to get back on my good graces. Elway could run, and he had the strongest arm I've ever seen. Antoine, I don't know if you've heard this because you're still someone new to our channel, but I grew up a big John Elway fan, so that's a do you a comment I agree with. Ser- serious question, though. Do you think it's a close comparison between him and Josh Allen as far as just arm strength? Because Allen yes. is probably the strongest I've ever yes. seen in person. Yeah. I think John Elway had a stronger arm 25 and in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh is the closest thing I've seen to it. I, look, I said Pat Mahomes is the closest thing I've seen to John Elway, yeah. but Pat's not the athlete John Elway was. No, he's a good athlete. Josh, he's not a this athlete. last two years of Josh Allen is the closest I've seen. Like, But Pat was the closest I've seen to John Elway, but they were different types of players. Patrick's more of a, pa- a pocket guy. John Elway was more of a, an athlete during his career. Mm-hmm. I think Josh Allen's very comparable to John Elway in solid play. Now, John was a more advanced I think maybe it had to come out of college more advanced. I mean, John Elway had set the path. This is the funny thing. is like, I'm trying to look John Elway's career stats, right? I'm trying to just let me look this up. John Elway, college stats. He, in his career, passed for at Stanford. In four years at Stanford, passed for 9,349 yards. He ended his career at Stanford as the all-time leader in the Pac-12 in passing yards. He only went over 3,000 yards once. It was a different era. Right, but he was a more advanced player. He just played in a crap system with the Broncos. He would have been a much more effective passer uh, had he played in a better system. But I think the 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 powerful arm plus the combination of like John Elway was a legitimate runner. Like he wasn't just a like he could run. Like he people, if you ever one of the best things ESPN ever did. Like and they've done some great. The one thing I always praise ESPN for is the, the the documentaries, the shows on on historical things, the thirty for thirties. But the 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 nineteen eighty three draft show they did from it's called I think from Elway to Marino was one of the best things I've ever done. Now part of that is my bias towards John Elway, but it's great history. One of the things they talk about is people have always said like John Elway wasn't really going to go play baseball, and everybody's like, no, actually he was. John Elway played one summer in the New York Yankees A, A- League. And he batted mm-hmm. like 400. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a great baseball player. And the Yankees genuinely wanted him. He was an elite athlete. And what a lot of people, you know, see the older John Elway that, I mean, he was an older John Elway that had like multiple knee surgeries, right? Because of all the running. But he, he was a dynamic athlete. And I think Josh Allen is like the closest thing ever. Where it could be third nine 
and you've got to be worried about him breaking it. I mean, there were times I've seen John Elway step up, break a tackle, and then take off running and convert a third nine with his legs. And then, you know, two minutes left, and he does the same thing. He steps, take off, running, and then you come up, and then it dumps it over your head. Like I think of the the game where they beat the Oilers in the playoffs, where he starts to scramble uh, early, like on, early on the drive, and he he takes off running, and he like just dips out of bounds right at the first down marker. And then the same thing happens. I don't know if it was a, a, the next series or if it was like another play. And the Oilers came up and he just dumps it over their head. Vance Johnson catches it wide open, runs for like 30, 40 yards and sets up a David Treadwell field goal. And they beat the Oilers and Warren Moon in the playoffs, right? Like he just, you couldn't, there was there weren't answers for him other than just your team had to be way better than his team, which is what happened in the Super Bowls all those years. You know what I mean? And so... I think Josh Allen's like that because to me, a great quarterback has to be a guy that can put a team on his shoulders and say, I'm going to make everybody around me better. And I think that's what separates like Patrick Mahomes. And that's what separates the Josh Allen's is they can do that. And and John Elway could do that. And, and, and I think some other great, and I don't want to say names, but I think some other great quarterbacks that people view as contemporaries of John Elway, I think put up great numbers, but didn't necessarily make everybody around them better from a winning standpoint. That's just mm. my that's my stance on that. So it's a very interesting take for sure. But you get me talking about John Elway, we may go another <laughs> you know another hour. You need to start so, a John Elway podcast. There you go. There you go. It'd be a little weird and creepy. But I, I'm not gonna lie. Like you know me, Ryan. I don't do like the fanboy thing. But yes, when I covered the NFL draft in twenty and was it twenty twenty draft it was like right before COVID hit. There's no doubt. I have a picture of me at the draft with John Elway behind me in the podium, so you could see me like there at John Elway's thing and. I remember I asked him a question and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I was walking around the corner and he walked around the corner and I was about to bump into him. He's like, he's, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Like real politely. And I was like, call my dad. I was like, John Elway just talked to me. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. That was one of the few times I get into like that, that little fanboy, like, oh my gosh, John Elway just talked to me. I just walked by John Elway. <laughs> you know, it was pretty cool. I was pretty fired up about that. Met Brady Quinn for the first time that weekend as well. Really nice, really nice, really polite guy. Did, did you call your dad about that one too? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. Uh, I called my wife because she likes Brady Quinn. I don't know why. I'm not sure why she. my wife likes Brady Quinn. We named hmm. our first dog after Brady Quinn. I, I'm not sure. I don't know what that is. I said sarcastically. Uh, Chad <laughs> Delpreet, I'd like to see Notre Dame play one game per year inside the state of Georgia. I don't care if it's versus Georgia, Georgia Tech, or if they use their ACC connections to get a Chick-fil-A kickoff game. That's actually something I, I don't – I think – I don't know if I do it every year, but like you know, over a ten-year period, like play four or five games in the state of Georgia. I think there's Chad. I, I kind of like that because again, it doesn't have to be Georgia or Georgia Tech. It could be them sometimes. You know, maybe you play, uh, you schedule a game against you know Florida, and you play it in Atlanta. Or you schedule an SEC you opponent and play it in Atlanta, or an ACC team and play it in Atlanta. That'd be very interesting. Or maybe something that's something you could work out with the ACC. Hey, look. Let's convert one, you know, let's let's add an ACC game every couple of years in Atlanta where, you know, one of your teams comes down and plays us because that'd be good for the ACC too. get to play Notre Dame in Georgia where they're all trying to recruit. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting, Chad. I dig that. Yeah. I dig that. Ryan. That's, okay. Yeah. No, no, it's it's a cool it's a cool um, idea. I like it, too. I think just using a neutral site location in SEC country just in general kind of intrigues me, to be honest. I think that's very interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. That's mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that could just be a location. It doesn't even have to be against the same opponent, like you're saying, each and every year, right? Like, you can use that mm-hmm. just to your advantage in that way. Yep, no doubt. 
I love this comment from Antoine. He says, John Elway was a modern quarterback before modern quarterbacks even existed. Everything these guys are doing now, Elway did it back then. Hey, and look, we've gone through a stretch of – there was a long period of time where, like, all these great quarterbacks in college were wearing number seven. I mean, that, I'm not saying I was a great quarterback, but, I mean, I had that same sentiment. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, he – he. I think there's a lot There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. And and by modern quarterback, I think he's referring to the – the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomeses, the the Lamar Jacksons, the Justin Herberts, not the Aaron Rodgerses, the Tom Brady's. Mm-hmm. The, it's you know, yeah. the, like trade they're trade seat quarterbacks. Yeah, right. right. Like there's an era where like everybody wanted that pocket Tom Brady ish quarterback and Aaron Rodgers, and now it's like, man, but if you got a quarterback that can do some of these things and move around and make plays with his legs, boy, that brings so much more value. Like, yeah, okay, we saw that, saw that a lot out in Mile High back in the '80s and '90s. I'm just saying, you know. So I think he's point like. But that's why I say football is cyclical, right? Like it always comes around. And then in 20 years, it's going to be 15 years going to be back to you want the pocket passer because the game is going to have changed in some way rules wise or whatever the case may be uh, to get to that point. So oh, 100%. Chad, Chad also had a great comedy. He says Michigan is the enemy. USC is the rival. There's a big difference. I think like in a serious comment, I think that I think there's I think that would be true of Michigan side, too. I, I don't know if Michigan fans necessarily view Notre Dame as a rival. And if they do, it's their third. It's behind Ohio State and Michigan State. It's more of Ohio State's their rival. They hate may hate them, but it's or Michigan Notre Dame's an enemy. You just despise everything about them. Same thing for Notre Dame feeling about Michigan. There's no doubt about it. Lucas Chapman asks, do you think Utah would be a good replacement for USC? What to play it on a year to year basis? As a relatively regular, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, no, no, not a regular. I wouldn't mind playing Utah every once in a while. I respect yeah. their program. It's a good program. So I wouldn't mind playing them every once in a blue moon. Well, I, I just, not a not a regular I, thing. I kind of like playing teams that you, you know, or not playing teams that you're undefeated against. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I think they're one to know against Utah, right? Are they? Are they? That's interesting. I think I so. Can't, I can't remember them ever playing Utah. Uh, 2010. 2010. Yeah. The, that was, uh, they were four and five at the time. Utah came in ranked. They just lost to you. Uh, they had just lost to, um, I think, TCU. Because remember, they were both in the, uh, the Mountain West at the time. Yep. It was the game. Harrison Smith made one of the sickest picks I've seen at Notre Dame guy make that game. They won like 28 to uh, 10 or something like that. I forget what the final score was, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was 2010. It was one of Tommy Reese's first starts. Matter of fact, huh. it was like, I think it was right after it might've been his first start. Now that I think about it, because he came in, Dane got hurt against Tulsa. And I, I'm going to look this up because I think that was Tommy's first. It was just only his first or second start. Just give me a second. It was Tommy's first start. It was the first career start for Tommy Reese. 28 to 3 was the score. Because wow. Dane, it was two weeks before because they had a bye week after Tulsa. If you remember, Dane Chris got hurt against Tulsa. And that and they lost that game. That dropped Notre Dame to 4 and 5. And their season was not looking good. They played Utah, who at the time was ranked like 15th. And Notre Dame beat them. And, like, they had a blocked punt. They returned for a touchdown. I think Robert Blant had a big pick that game. But Harrison Smith, they were running a deep drag route. And Harrison Smith was in trail position. And when the ball was thrown, he went from behind the guy to cut the guy off and pick the guy. It was like, oh, my gosh, that's a ridiculous interception. But, uh, yeah, that was um, – that was a yeah, I remember that game. And I'll say something else. There was a lot of Utah fans at that game. That was one of the nicest – classiest group of fans that ever visit Notre Dame's campus. They were so polite. They were like joining Notre Dame tailgates and having fun and talking ball. And they would talk trash, but it was like, it was like in a fun, 
you know, hey, you're four and five. You know, it was like, you know, you guys aren't that good and we're ranked. But they were great people. Like, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed getting to know the Utah people. We had a bunch – because my parents were in town. My uncle came in town. We had, like, a big tailgate. It was my first year covering Notre Dame, like, full time. And we had a really big tailgate that weekend. And uh, it was really great getting to meet U- Utah fans. Really nice people. Really enjoyed those those folks for sure. And yeah, yeah they're absolutely. You, you ever want to see a rivalry that's heated? Wait, BYU uh, Utah rivalry, man, they get what fans get doesn't crazy. it? I mean, what's the they call it the holy war, right? Holy like, war, it, yeah, or I mean, it when, was. When I don't world, know if they got rid of it, but yeah, it was. But when the word war is a part of your rivalry, it's not going to be a fun, you know, yeah. slap hands kind of thing. There's no, I, I remember, uh, I think it was either. I think it was Zach Wilson's freshman or his sophomore year. He was talking a lot of trash. And I remember Utah, like, let him have it on Twitter, mm-hmm. like, for a year after that game. Like, whoa, man. They hated yeah. BYU so much. It was crazy. Yep. Yep. Let's see here. And here we go. Last one, I believe. 99 problems became one. Predict the final score of the Alabama versus Texas A&M game this season. I'm putting the over-under at 90 points, and I don't expect Texas A&M to get more than six. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that one pans out. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be like 38 to 14 or something, 38, 17. Yeah. It's going to be ugly. It's, it's going to be, be a, yeah, it's not. It's really not. I, I, I don't. I don't see that one being overly competitive. And, and I don't think it was going to be all that competitive to begin with. Like, I, it's funny. I saw so in the article I wrote, Ryan, I don't know if you had a chance to read it or not yet, but it was the – so ESPN updated their preseason top 25, and they put USC from 12th to 4th because they have Jordan Addison now. And which I'm like, you guys know that all these years they've sucked. They've always had good receivers. Like that's not like who's like, man, you don't see that I'm good enough for you know enough good receivers. They were, they were they were talking about when they had they literally in the recent future, recent past, excuse me, had Drake London, Michael Pittman Jr., and Amon Ross St. Brown on the same and team. Tyler Vaughn's, who was right. a and good Tyler player Vaughn's. but got hurt. If he doesn't right. get hurt as a senior, I think he you know he had a pretty bad injury as a senior. And and they had, I mean, go look at see some of the receivers that that. uh that Sam Darnold was throwing to in 2017. It wasn't a bunch of bums. No. Uh, so I, I find it hilarious. But I had to get in there, my little shade, of who they had in the top 10 last year at the same time. <laughs> oh, no. Be, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was fun. Because last year, here's here's they had Texas A&M in the top 10. The point was, I kind of threw some shade at not only USC at four, but why is A&M fifth? Explain that to me. What has Texas A&M done? To, to, to warrant being a top five team. They are replacing their entire defensive line. They're replacing their defensive coordinator. They have a quarterback battle, right? They got a guy from USC or LSU, I mean, who they, he, you know, he was a nice player, but it's not like they went and got Caleb Williams or, you know, Joe Burrow, the, 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 right. the LSU version of Joe Burrow or Justin Fields, right? It's Max Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I just had to point out like what their top 10 was last They had A&M sixth, they had A&M ranked sixth last year and they went eight and four and they went eight and four and they lost to double at double figures, but to Arkansas and Ole Miss, they lost at home to seven and six Mississippi state. And then their last game of the year, they lost to LSU. Think about that. They lost to LSU mm-hmm. last year. They had North Carolina who went six and seven 
Iowa State, who went seven and six, USC went four and eight, and Indiana, who went two and ten, were all part of ESPN's preseason top ten last year. And yeah. I think all except maybe, I mean, the only team of that group that I felt maybe warranted being a potential preseason top ten team to me was Iowa State, and mm-hmm. and because of their schedule and and we learned. I said last year, Ryan, we would we were going to learn a lot about Matt Cap- Matt Campbell last year because this is the first time in his career he's been the hunted in the Big Twelve yeah. in the Big Twelve, and he didn't handle it well. Mm-hmm. But North Carolina, we always said was overrated. Like they lost a two thousand yard running backs, a thousand yard receiver, their best defensive player from a team that went eight and four, and they're going to jump into the top ten for some crazy reason. Uh, USC was overrated, so it, it's none of it ever made sense. But that's just typical ESPN. But anyway. All right, so that is going to do it, Ryan, for today's show. I appreciate everybody being part of the show today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate um, appreciate all the feedback. Appreciate the great questions. We are going to try to have a show tomorrow. So that means you need to hit that like button. I think, do we still have Matt? Yes, Matt has it because Mace AK is not with us today. It looks like getting his stuff in there. Uh, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe, share the podcast, hit the notification bell, and so you never miss an I, when IV goes live. Because we are, Sean and I are going to try to go live tomorrow. We're not, it's not finalized. I've got some personal things that, that may keep us from going live, but we're going to try to get back to our Saturday shows tomorrow. And, uh, but you're going to need to know because we may go around one o'clock, but it's going to depend on, uh, it's going to, we're not getting a commitment tomorrow. It's not why we're going to go live. Sean and I are getting back to our Saturday show, which we had started doing. And uh, we're going to try to do that tomorrow, but it's not a guarantee. But if you hit the like button and the subscribe button and the notification bell, especially the notification bell, then you'll be you'll be you'll be made aware of when we're going to do a show. So also make sure you sign up for IrishBreakdown.com or I would say boards at IrishBreakdown.com. It's Irish Breakdown message board. You're definitely going to be part of that. A lot of intel on there, a lot of good stuff on there. And uh, you're you're not going to regret it at all. So, thanks everybody for being with us today. Appreciate everybody uh, with the great tons of great questions, tons of great interaction, and uh, appreciate y'all's patience with some of our technical issues that we're working through. We're going to try to get this thing figured out. So, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for being a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>